Hello and welcome to another episode of I Love This Band. It's been a while since I've recorded an episode and it's really good to be back. I've been taking a little bit of time to research this one, doing lots of reading, listening, watching. My last episode was with Danny Kilmartin about The Clash and it was a really enjoyable experience. It's one I'm really, really proud of. So if you haven't listened, by all means, please go back and listen. Today I'll be discussing Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds with Aoife Ward. Aoife is a musician herself. She's the bass player of the fantastic Dundalk band Larry, so please give Larry a listen also. So first of all, it's time for our little introduction to Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds and their story. And straight after that, I'll go into the chat with Aoife. So thank you for listening once again. There are a few bands still around today that can transcend decades and genres and still manage to electrify audiences and inspire devotion. When fans go to see Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds in concert, it's almost like a religious experience. Nick Cave is an artist who's gone through many phases. In order to understand how we got to where we are today, we have to go back to the start. Nick Cave was born in a small town called Wrachnabeel in Victoria, Australia, on the 13th of September 1957. From a young age, his father educated him on classic literature, such as Vladimir Nabokov's Lolita and the works of William Shakespeare. His father was an English teacher and his mother was a librarian. From the account in Nick Cave's biography by Ian Johnson, Nick grew from an introverted and insecure kid to a fiery and rebellious teenager. Following one school expulsion, he became a boarder at Caulfield Grammar School and this is where the Bad Seed saga really begins. With friends Mick Harvey and Phil Calvert, Nick started playing music. Nick and his friends were, well, artistic, and they didn't exactly fit in with the hyper-masculine vibe around them. Dressing outrageously and discovering the joys of mid-70s glam rock, they covered artists such as Bowie, Lou Reed and Alice Cooper. This band went under a few names, and with the addition of a bass player by the name of Tracy Pugh, they eventually became The Boys Next Door. The sounds of punk rock had started to rumble and the boys would listen. By 1978, Nick Cave had befriended Roland S. Howard. Roland S. Howard played in a band called the Young Charlatans and this was the start of a new thing. Having attended some of their gigs and even stood in for Tracy Pugh when he was too drunk, Roland S. Howard would join the band and he'd become Nick Cave's key songwriting partner along with his girlfriend and muse, Anita Lane. Anita was a talented artist and writer in her own right, but Nick Cave and the Melbourne punk scene proved too enticing, and her life was turned upside down. The Boys Next Door would eventually become The Birthday Party, one of Australia's most notorious bands of all time. The band would relocate from Melbourne to London in 1980, and to listen to The Birthday Party now is still a pretty wild ride. With frantic bass lines, feral vocals and spiralling guitars, it seems like their live gigs were even more chaotic and they built up a reputation in the music press. The band's early years were that of decadence and squalor. They hated what the formerly groundbreaking punk scene had become in London and they took lots of drugs and they drank a lot and were generally just very debauched. The band moved around quite a bit. These years were formative to Nick Cave, who'd previously been used to the comforts of his home. After truly suffering for his art in London, he was becoming the personification of the depraved and worn-down characters in his songs. The London punks didn't get these Australian lads. 
They dressed like a gang of gothic cowboys and the critics didn't understand their musical direction, or them for that matter. The band were frequently thrown in with the early 80s goth scene, much to their disgust. The band penned the song Release the Bats as a scathing piss take of the gothic rock label that they sorely loathed. The themes of their songs generally referred to religious imagery, murder and chaos. The dark side of Americana appeared as early as these records. Nick Cave grew up watching the Johnny Cash show and had a fascination with sinful and hellish imagery. Live gigs would transform him into a possessed gothic madman and audiences would show up to birthday party gigs expecting violence and a spectacle. The band relentlessly toured. The band also battled run-ins with the law, drug addiction and exhaustion. The Birthday Party would release three albums. In around 1981, they had met New York no-wave musician and spoken word artist Lydia Lunch. Johnson's book documents how Cave and Lunch did not get on, despite initial mutual interest. Lydia Lunch would collaborate with Roland S. Howard on the album Honeymoon in Red, and she toured with the band. By the time the birthday party had settled in Berlin, it was all nearly over. A relationship with Blixa Bargeld of Einsturzende Neubauten was formed, and by then, Nick Cave was thinking of other things. By 1983, the songwriting partnership between Roland S. Howard and Nick Cave had broken down. Work began on a project called Nick Cave and the Cavemen, or Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, in 1983. And we're finally at the stage where I can talk about the Bad Seeds. I hope I haven't lost you. The first Bad Seed album was entitled From Her to Eternity, and it still retains that sense of chaos and urgency that existed in the birthday party. But Nick Cave's approach to songwriting was changing. The music was atmospheric and theatrical, and this was thanks to Blix of Bargeld. The lyrics to From Her to Eternity were co-written by Anita Lane. Cave's persona was slowly transforming from feral vampire to Baptist preacher from hell, and it would grow and evolve in years to come. The Firstborn is Dead was a tribute to American blues music and the Deep South. Tupelo was a dramatic tribute to the birth of Elvis Presley. The Black Crow King was a nod to Cave's own persona. An album of covers called Kicking Against the Pricks featured songs such as The Carnival Is Over and The Singer. The album is bluesy and nostalgic and signified a new direction. Your Funeral My Trial, Tender Prey, The Good Son and Henry's Dream ushered in a new era for the band. Years of being exploited by the music press, addiction and the breaking down of personal relationships had taken their toll on Nick Cave as an artist. Anita Lane's presence is still felt on the ghostly track Stranger Than Kindness, which is still performed by the band to this day. The Bad Seeds produced some of their most famous ballads during this time, including The Ship Song and Straight To You. In the early 1990s, Nick Cave relocated to São Paulo and had fallen in love with a woman called Vivian Carnero. During this time, Nick Cave had gone into rehab and gotten clean, the couple also had a son. A new stable home life at a new beginning had helped him develop his artistry further. Let Love In features a song called Red Right Hand, which is now famous for being the Peaky Blinders theme song. And it's funny, the world of well-dressed Birmingham gangsters seems to fit in well with the mythology that Nick Cave writes about in his songs. Murder Ballads was a fairly fitting tribute to the dark world that had inspired Cave throughout his career. Where the Wild Roses Grow, sang with Kylie Minogue, is a twisted duet which is sang from the perspective of a killer and his victim. 
From the boatman's call onwards, Nick Cave's lyrics seem to be more personal and autobiographical. The album features the beloved ballad, Into My Arms. Nick Cave would sing this song at the funeral of NXS singer Michael Hutchins. The album is romantic. Cave would meet the love of his life in model Susie Bick in 1997. Nick and Susie married in 1999 and are together to this day. They had twin sons. And Susie has a beautiful clothing line, which is aptly named The Vampire's Wife. A tight collaboration with musician Warren Ellis, who had played with the Bad Seeds for years and then had become a permanent member, has produced some beautiful, tender and ambient music. Jubilee Street is classic Nick Cave, and live performances of this song have truly been spellbinding. Tragedy had struck Nick Cave's life in 2015. His 15-year-old son, Arthur, was tragically killed following an accident. This time in his life is documented in the film Once More With Feeling. The film is an intimate glimpse into a time where an artist tries to keep his work afloat while experiencing intense grief. The film was sort of made to protect Nick Cave from any more prying questions about the horrible tragedy that had occurred. Nick Cave has written screenplays, novels and continues to perform all around the world with the bad seeds. His enigmatic persona, dry sense of humour and talent for storytelling have made him a hero to fans all across the world. Nick Cave is a true artist who immerses himself in everything that inspires him and he's dedicated to the creative process. With Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, there's always something worth discovering. And also, the best is always yet to come. So, hi Aoife. Hi Jenny. We're talking about Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds today, yeah? We are indeed, yeah. So, first of all, I want you to introduce yourself and what do you do and okay. what's your story? Yeah. <laughs> So my name is Eva Ward. Uh, I am in a band called Larry. I play bass. Um, I will I tell you what I work at as well. If you no? want. <laughs> okay, I'm studying to be a therapist, and I also work with Pizza Pizza Records, a record label in Dundalk. And that's a very uh, famous record label in town. There's a lot of great acts to listen to on that. There are. Can indeed. you name some of them actually? I can indeed. So uh, Just Mustard are on our label, which is very exciting. Yeah. Um, a guy who does a solo project called Trick Mist. Um, his music is very kind of like meditative, sort of uh, Indian inspired. Then wow. we have Elephant, who is Shane Clark and the rest of his band. Um, and he released a double album with Beats Pizza recently. Then there's um, my own band, Larry. Uh, and we released a record in April. And am I missing anyone? Oh, we the oceanographers are also on. Oh yeah, uh, Pizza, of course. Pizza. Yeah. And I just want you to um, big yourself up a bit there. Who produced <laughs> your album? Everybody. Okay. Um, so uh, we went to Chicago and recorded with Steve Albini, which was amazing. Yeah, she recorded um, with Steve Albini, and she's all humble about it. It's just casual, yeah. you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's that's just awesome. So impressed. You do so much. Like yeah. I just, I'm tired thinking of all that. <laughs> um, uh, I take breaks sometimes. <laughs> that's good. Uh, so I suppose I'll just start by asking you, why are we talking about Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds today? Okay. Uh, we're talking about him today because I was trying to think of an artist that I could talk about at length. 
there were a couple of bands I thought about idols I thought about talking about idols because I'm really into them yeah Uh, and they're great Um, but I felt like even though they have like they have an interest in history as well Nick Cave just has such a long legacy and uh, the two of us kind of chatted about it and we were talking about the fact that he's alive as well Um, you know your first three podcasts for people who are dead (laughs) oh my god that's so true actually you and uh, somebody else I interviewed uh, you two are not only the first two people I've interviewed in person you're the first two people (laughs) I've interviewed about people that aren't dead so that's a big deal (laughs) this is a change and I love this band this is a big change we love these bands that are alive yeah yeah, that should be a side way I don't know yeah so uh, I suppose the reason that I love Nick Cave so much is I have my own history with him uh, and I was thinking about this the other day how I first listened to him um, and I had got an iPod for my birthday this was when iPods came out at the start you know and uh, my brother uh, had like an iTunes account and he's about 10 years older than me so he bought a lot of music as people kind of did with iTunes because there was no yeah. Spotify and he threw all these amazing albums onto my iPod. Uh, there was stuff like uh, Sufjan Stevens and like Nick Cave was one of them. Yeah. Uh, and I remember listening to him. I must have been like 14 or something and I didn't get it. I didn't get the lyrics, but I liked it. Yeah. Um, the album was Dig Lazarus Dig, right. uh, which is probably like his least remembered album now you know yeah um but at the time I liked him and and he kind of stuck in my head and then as years went on I kind of heard his other stuff and I then began to understand it as an adult and realized the whole emotional part of his work yeah I can understand what you mean because uh I got into him a bit later now I wasn't a teenager I was early 20s and I was into all this death rock flipping punk rock stuff at that time hardcore so I got into the birthday party through it all yes I just discovered them yeah and like I just love the birthday party because their imagery is all very like the dark side of religion and you know chaos and I I loved um I just loved the chaotic sound that they had I loved the guitars and Mm -hmm. Roland S Howard's contribution there because I'm a big fan of him as well now and then moving on after that then I would have listened to Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, but I have to be honest. Yeah. When I was younger, I always saw Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds as kind of highbrow. I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. I would have thought it's for older people. I don't really think I get it, or I would have found it just you know I wouldn't have understand the whole ambience, or I wouldn't understood the artistry behind it really. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But later on, then of course, I just I don't know. I suppose I brainwashed myself a bit. I just started listening over and over again and. Then mm-hmm. I started hearing certain things in the music, like the Mercy yeah. Seat and yeah. Um, yeah. Stranger Than Kindness, like the, yeah. that song. It's very ghostly and very yeah. uh, melancholy, but it's really, really beautiful because the lyrics really punch you in the gut because it's like yeah. the lyrics are, I'm a stranger to kindness. Yeah. So it's like, I'm used to people treating me badly. Mm-hmm. I'm not used to somebody treating me well. I think a lot yeah. of people can relate to that in their lives or when they first find somebody that really cares about them, it's a shock. Yeah. So I'm yeah. going a bit deep now with that, but no, I, I, I think, can hear that yeah. res- that resonated with me a little bit. I was like, yeah. when you feel like you've got a wall up and then all of a sudden people are friendly towards you. Yeah. I don't know. I found a, a bit of a personal connection with 
um, a lot of his lyrics, of course. Uh, maybe not the uh, wild Baptist preacher stuff of it, yeah. you know, or the murder ballads. I have never murdered anybody. So yeah. I can't relate <laughs> to that emotion. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I... I think you can kind of help but go into the deep emotional stuff when you're talking about Nick Cave because that's, kind of, that's his thing isn't it like um, yeah and I think I was the same like what you're talking about there with certain songs started to speak to me his name kept coming up as well I kept hearing about Nick Cave and I remember he played Body and Soul it was a good few years ago now uh, but I remember a lot of people raving about him and I kept thinking what am I missing like I've listened to him but I know I don't get it and I I think there's a lot of his work that I still haven't got if you know what I mean like it's like I haven't had the life experience to know it yet that's exactly yeah. it by highbrow I don't necessarily mean that it's only for people who are smart I yeah. I really hate that and yeah. you're an artist as well Aoife is actually a visual artist as well oh, yeah. on yeah. top of all that <laughs> other stuff as and Jenny. I think yeah. you would agree like Art shouldn't be just for an elite class. It should be yeah. for everybody. Yeah, exactly. And music is no different. But mm-hmm. I understand what you're saying. It's nearly with age and maturity and life experience you hear things in his uh, repertoire yeah. that will resonate with you more as you grow. Yeah. So like I said, I went from listening to you know, Release the Bats and Dim Locator and mm-hmm. let me think of another one, She's Hit. That song's a bit wild too. Yeah. But, you know. Yeah. But, uh, and then I, you know, moved forward then to, you know, Skeleton Tree and, um, yeah, yeah. you know, Jubilee Street, you yeah. know, that song. Yeah. Oh, I absolutely love that song. Yeah. It's so beautiful. <laughs> it's so beautiful. And the album is called Push the Sky Away. Sorry, my mind just went blank there all yes. of a sudden for some reason. Yeah. That album's amazing. Like, and, and the fact that it comes like so late in the Bad Seeds career as well, it's kind of, Push the Sky Away kind of came out of nowhere in a way because it, it you know there's this kind of thing where bands tend to uh they start to kind of maybe mellow out towards the end of their career and Mm -hmm. stuff it just nearly felt like the bad seeds were coming into their own with push the sky away Mm -hmm. um and it's one of my favorite albums one of my favorite uh nick cave albums but uh a song like jubilee street funnily enough a couple of months ago i was in brighton um and I was on Jubilee Street. I was just going to say I did yeah, the same really, thing. Really? Yes. And I'll tell yeah. you, it's not very romantic. There's like a it's Tesco not. Express there. It's just, it's yeah. like any old street in Dundalk. It's like Henry even. Street or something. Like, yeah, exactly. I, in fact, yeah. I think some of the town, the streets in Dundalk have more of a romantic look to them than Jubilee Street yeah. has, honestly. I had this picture, because you know the way his songs are so kind of, they create this atmosphere in this place that's kind of mm. otherworldly. And same, I walked up Jubilee Street, I was like, are you fucking serious? What <laughs> happened here? Me and my friend said the exact same thing. It was her that actually realised where we were. She was like, oh, we're on Jubilee Street, like the yeah. Nick Cave song. I was like, yeah. this is so, like, I'm so disappointed. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But I think I read a little bit about that song. And mm-hmm. now, it could be harking back to a time before the area was regenerated and okay. gentrified. Ah. So, if I'm wrong, of course, uh, anybody listening, please correct me. Mm-hmm. But I think it's actually kind of about nostalgia. Okay, yeah. But even the, the, the guitar riff that's played, and mm. it plays in your head over and over again when you think of the song. Mm-hmm. Like, it does have a very nostalgic kind of sound to it. It does, it's very hypnotic. kind of like dreamy or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you know? yeah. That's interesting, yeah. I didn't actually, I haven't looked at it, into it myself. Uh, 
it's kind of one of those songs you know about a prostitute and everything but it could nearly happen anywhere in the world at any time there's something about yeah that album yeah, as well and, yeah and again like a lot of his songs there's this kind of a loneliness to it it's like uh, yeah. you know she had a little black book we don't i don't really know yeah uh, i don't really know what the end for b is in yeah. the song yeah i mean is he singing this as in she's dead now and he's, he's reflecting on when he knew her yeah you know or yeah. is he a john yeah exactly and yeah. he's looking for her and she's not there anymore yeah. so is that where the nostalgia is yeah like but i do get a feeling of nostalgia definitely yeah. from that song and it's funny you say that as well because i was watching um Twenty Thousand days on earth recently yeah. and do you remember the scene in it when he talks about susie he talks about meeting susie and he talks about like in the moment he saw her for the first time it was like all this kind of like imagery of beautiful women he'd seen throughout his life yeah. kind of flashed and it was like he used to have like soft porn up on his walls yeah. and you know when he, he was young yeah. and stuff and it was like all these images came to Susie but it, there's something about his fascination with that kind of like prostitutes and pornography and stuff that with wanton women yes exactly and this yeah. is what I've, I've kind of I've kind of yeah. described it as like yeah all through his uh, history his songs have been about wanted men and wanton women and oh this is God, what I've that's, said that's very good yeah because there is that western nearly imagery that comes into your head because you do yeah. have like slide guitar and stuff like that so it does kind of invoke it does like a desert mm-hmm. and sorry to just go off on another tangent now but I mm-hmm. feel like he the the dark side of Americana and the wild west and mm-hmm. and you know outlaws I think that resonates with him because the Australian countryside would probably resemble like uh, the desert in, in America yeah. well that makes the sense the landscape yeah. is the same he's a rural guy mm-hmm. yeah. yeah he's from the countryside I know I was slagging him off saying he's an aging rural guy like me <laughs> but but uh, I kind of think that's why that... And apparently his father mm-hmm. was one of the first people to... Uh, I, could, I could be describing this wrong, but he was doing research on the outlaw, Ned Kelly. And he was one of the first really? people to really look into that okay. mythology. So Nick Cave has grown up with all of these things around him to inspire him. Yeah. And his father also would have inspired a love of literature and storytelling into him from a young age. Yes. Now, <laughs> I've seen interviews with the kid being like, everybody's saying that my father was reading Lolita to me at three years old. It wasn't like that. But yeah. yeah. No, we don't think it was like that. Yeah. But, yeah. but to be honest, to have a parent who's kind of educated in literature and can share that knowledge with you is it's very a real cool. privilege. Yeah. And it's nothing to be all like, you know, yeah. oh, that's so lame. <laughs> no, it's not. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah. I remember him, him chatting about that, about when his father read literature it was like he changed and he talks about himself changing when he's on stage as well and also Susie when she's um, making her amazing dresses the vampire's wife dresses that it it takes you to this place outside of yourself and I I think that makes sense about creativity that it is that escape it's that escape from the everyday the mundane and whatever's happening in your life to something else I don't know how I ended up on that point but no that's yeah that's a, that's a lovely it's, point and yeah. you know I can even just um bring up a point about him that way as well is that he treats the creative process like it's a full-time job yeah now I have so a nine-to-five yeah as much as I would love to be like creating all day it's just not viable for me right now yeah but I've 
seen him speak about going into his office and going yeah. in and spending hours there away from his family so he's yeah. not he says he doesn't want to expose his family to his creative process okay. so maybe he goes into a very dark place yeah, it or something dangerous or something yeah it yeah. sounds like oh god maybe I don't want to be around him uh, yeah. but he sits and he writes he writes ideas lyrics all these things and yeah. that goes back to Berlin in the yeah. early 80s with the birthday party yeah there's famous pictures you can find on Instagram or wherever you find your uh, rock star pictures right mm-hmm. of him in his loft in Berlin with his hair all over the place like yeah. an 80s goth look you know yeah cigarette on over his ear and then all over the walls is all this mad stuff yes like yeah. you said uh, pornography and there's some religious lots of stuff religious, oh, I saw that. yeah locks yeah. of a woman's hair and yeah. uh, as you say probably some pictures of Our Lady and probably yeah. some pictures of Ned Kelly we're going to assume yeah Bible verses apparently he would just rip the pages out of books and just tack them on the wall yeah just this big kind of mood board or something of creativity so he's a very visual person as well as being a a person that's all about words I think he needs to nearly see he needs to immerse himself in that to put himself into that world and to write about it and to live in it yeah exactly Uh, it just kind of got me thinking as well there um, what you were saying about his visual side the, uh, I'm sure you've read about this but I thought it's really beautiful the cover of Push the Sky Away you know that image yes. it's so beautiful and it's that image of Susie um, you know she's naked and yeah. Nick's kind of standing to the side and I remember reading that that was um, it wasn't intentional No, it was actually like the the photographer was a friend of theirs and happened to be there and I think shooting Susie for some modelling thing and just took that snap and yeah, it's like he's got this really strong uh, eye for aesthetic as well. Yeah, you know. I mean, it looks um, it looks staged. She's, yeah, it does. Yeah. She's walking with her head down, and her beautiful black hair is just all falling down around her. She's 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 nude. She was in a state of undress. She was uh, changing outfits. So I'm assuming it was a, like she's a absolutely stunning woman. Oh my she's god, one of the most beautiful women I've ever yeah. seen. I have to say. Yeah. Uh, and he is just like the you know the husband walking into the room like kind of pu- pulling the blinds back that's right yeah yeah so it's a very uh, mysterious looking image because you don't really know what's going on if you were to just interpret it as a photograph yeah you'd be like what's going on yeah and apparently he did get criticized for objectifying women and he had <laughs> to be like that's my wife and number yeah. one and number two she's okay with it and number three yeah. we didn't mean to take that photo it was an accident yeah, so, yeah, yeah. and I chose it because it was strangely beautiful which it is it I have is. to agree definitely you know? yeah it's very mysterious as well yeah um, and it that, anytime there's a kind of woman in his work it always makes me think and I'm sure he evokes it as well is that religious kind of thing like you say about um, Mary or whatever it is but there's something about women having this kind of ethereal quality or something yeah, that they're he's very into now okay this is me this is just a theory and it's not actually the truth or whatever so <laughs> go but for I it i think he's very into the whole muse into the muse yeah 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 his whole life he's had muses yeah okay yeah now we need to talk a little bit about anita lane right anita yeah. lane was his first um well, he wasn't. Michelle, I would be wrong to say she was his first girlfriend, but she was his the first love of his life. We could say. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, but not only was she his partner, she was also his creative partner. Okay. Right. And yeah. I talked about Stranger Than 
Kindness. Yeah. She wrote the lyrics to that. Oh, right. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. So, and uh, so she's contributed actually a lot to his um, creative process during those 80s years. Yeah. Uh, apparently, in the early days, he wasn't very confident in his lyrics, which is completely crazy to think. Yeah, it's shocking. Because yeah. when you think of Nick Cave, you think he's so lyrical, he's so. He's yeah. a storyteller. Mm-hmm. But apparently she was the one who really brought that out of him and really, you know, she helped him along. She would right. say, I wrote, I wrote this. You should write something on a scrap of paper. I wrote this for you. Yeah. Use that. Mm-hmm. And maybe he built built around what she wrote or something at the very beginning. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But I think she was a very strong presence. Yeah. And apparently they were together on and off for 10 years, which I didn't know until right. I read uh, the Ian Johnson book. I didn't okay, know. Yeah, yeah. And I was really shocked at that. So she really was a huge influence on him. Mm-hmm. And she would have been a visual artist. She got into a prestigious art school mm-hmm. uh, and essentially gave it all away to dedicate herself to him. Wow. Okay. So, so it was that kind of intense relationship. Yeah. intense relationship. Yeah. And uh, I think she's got a complicated history with that. She's like, she yeah. did what she wanted to do. Mm-hmm. She was mm-hmm. she was living in the middle of the Melbourne punk scene yeah. with a really creative guy who she was totally in love with, right? Mm-hmm. Now, on one hand, you could say, oh my God, why did she throw her own career away? Yeah. But maybe we shouldn't judge. Maybe that's what she yeah. wanted in that time in her life. And, and when I mean, you're I'm young sure, as well, the yeah. intensity of things is just like, oh, yeah. fuck it, why not, you know? And if you see her, she looks like a little doll. She's beautiful. Like, okay. She's really pretty as well. But yeah. um, she would be, and the same thing, he's got a type as well, long dark hair and like a doll-like face. Yes. You know, very, yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, she was a huge influence as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, have you listened to the birthday party much? I have, but not... Uh, well, you said mm. much, not much. Yeah. Um, I kind of came to them after I got into Nick Cave in a big way um, and I started listening to bits but I just found it that bit harder there was something about the birthday party that for me was less unique than the yeah. bad seeds mm-hmm. um, when I started listening to the birthday party I suppose I'm listening whatever 30 years later and I kind of thought I've heard a lot of stuff like this before now I'm sure people at the time were really into it and I know that you're really into them mm-hmm. as well yeah I suppose it's probably the sort of music that I'm attracted to and I think with the bad seeds it's that kind of what would you say even it, I think it's part of it it's kind of yeah it's so mixed with everything it's very easy to listen to you know <laughs> c- compared to the birthday party which takes a kind of more acquired taste oh, of yeah. that <laughs> That's totally like fair. heavy punk that's one yeah. thing but yeah. <laughs> it's too an acquired taste just yeah. a crazy Australian man screaming about that <laughs> yeah 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 it's too, it's too, it is too an acquired taste absolutely I do yeah. I can see that you know and I think maybe if I had come to the birthday party when I was a teenager and had that I was drawn to that sort of music I had that angst in me <laughs> yeah. that I would have been more into them but I came at a point I'm still really young I don't know why I'm talking as if I'm like <laughs> on the way out here like but uh, I, I'd be more attracted to that kind of the layers of the lyrics and stuff and it, it does something for me intellectually as you said highbrow <laughs> yeah. but as well as emotionally and musically yeah you're getting something so, out of it yeah. yeah you see I was the opposite to you I I discovered yeah. them in, in sequence <laughs> Yeah, 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 which is great. I moved through the years. With yeah, them you went with in them. like 2012, but whatever. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but that's good to do chronologically. It makes yeah, sense. chronological. That's the word. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And I mean, the early uh, Bad Seeds albums, especially the first album, 
I personally can still hear the birthday party in him. Yes, yeah. It's still very angry. Yeah, big time. Like, the mercy seat is kind of like the marker of almost the end of the birthday party influence and mm-hmm. starting into the whatever the bad seeds became. But yeah, like, there's there's that kind of angst. And to be honest, when I listen to Grinder Man, it's a lot more birthday party as well, I think. Yeah, that It's got that kind of lightness and... Because the and ba- darkness, oh, of course, uh, because the bad seeds are so deep and personal for him now, and the music is more ambient. Yeah, I think Grinder Man might be his uh, <laughs> catharsis, as yeah. in his hard rock outlet. Because Safety valve or something. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose you can't. Be, I mean, if you're an artist who's in bands for like nearly forty years, yeah, you're going to need to be stimulated in other ways. You're not going to be able to play the same music for years and years and years. And I yeah. personally hate when I hear people say things like, oh, they're crap now. They used to be good 20 years ago. I'm like, no, well, okay. You don't have to like the new stuff, but you yeah. can't expect somebody to play to the, same the same music. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> You'd be in bits, like, if you were still doing that. Yeah. He's not a cabaret act. Like, it's not. Yeah. He's not going to do the old standards. Yeah. <laughs> Even though that is also part of his old shtick. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and, and of course, the 80s Bad Seeds albums uh, have some beautiful songs on them, like... Uh, like you say the mercy seat yeah 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 you know let yeah. love in yeah like each album is kind of a little concept of its own it's yeah. got a whole feel to it it's got a little for me it's got a little world within it um uh stagger lee is is you know one of the old classics that he always pulls out at a live show you know i think he has concerned. fun i think he has fun doing that one i think it's a fun song for he him. makes it so long as well like he just keeps it going forever and it's kind of like and the thing I love about that song and maybe I think that has had an influence on Larry a little bit is the bass playing so you know that line do 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 you know it's like it's that one bass line the whole way through what could be 10 minutes of a performance um and yeah like Martin Casey is such an amazing bass player but it's just such a simple little line but, you it know, just keeps it going. Uh, simplicity is everything. I mean, yeah. going back to Jubilee Street again, that riff yeah. just goes through the whole do, song. Do, do, do. But yeah. it really creates an atmosphere. Yeah. And yeah, it does. It is hypnotic. So yeah. you're just honing in on what he's singing. You know, you're not distracted by anything else. That's such a good point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like it's just keeping everything going without throwing you off. So you, yeah, you can focus on his lyrics. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the 80s albums too are kind of his heroin years to be honest well that's it yeah uh, they yeah. are dark they deal with a lot of uh, biblical imagery um yeah uh, the d- the blues of the deep south yeah so yeah. you know blind lemon jefferson and you mm-hmm. know yeah. there's a lot of dark imagery a lot of damnation a lot of that stuff and yeah. i nearly feel like that was him kind of berating himself or something like yeah you know there's yeah. something very um your funeral my trial I yeah. feel like that album is very much uh, him punishing punishing himself for not being maybe what he wanted to be. Or yeah, yeah. There's a totally different tone to the music than there is in the kind of later albums. Um, and I I don't know if you've read the Red Hand Files. He has this like online forum to chat to fans. I actually have not, to my shame now. That's one oh, thing yeah. I didn't cover in all my research. Ah, no, no, no. <laughs> See, I'm trying to find the, the holes in it. <laughs> no, no, no. But uh, it's like you can subscribe to it and they come to your email, which is really cool because like 
I could just be sitting in work. I definitely shouldn't be reading stuff when I'm sitting in work, but <laughs> I'd be sitting in work and the email comes through and it's it will be a fan asking a question and then his answer and it's always beautiful answer. Like it's like a poem in itself. Um, And one of them was, um, sorry, what what were we talking about there? Oh no. The red hand files. Yeah. uh, Oh yeah, the heroin years. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So uh, (laughs) what he tends to do actually, so he'll, obviously there's loads of fans asking questions, but sometimes he'll answer two questions in one so he'll put the two questions sometimes they seem entirely separate but the answer is maybe the same yeah so one of the questions uh someone asked was um or, or it was more of a statement someone was saying um you know when you were on drugs your music was shit and now it's amazing <laughs> uh and like kind of like some sort of question in that but the other question oh my god I know what a thing to say. The other question was the opposite. And the other question was saying, your best work was when you were on drugs. Like, would you consider going back? That's a really horrible thing to say to anybody. That's so nasty and so, like, sociopathic or something. It is, because it's basically saying you as yourself, no good. Yeah. But you on a load of stuff. Can you just destroy yourself again? Because it was more interesting to watch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So it was really funny. And again, he had some beautiful kind of gracious answer that wasn't, like, he wasn't provoked by it. But he was saying something like... uh, yeah, people are going to have different opinions. Some people love certain albums. Some people hate certain albums. Um, but I suppose as I was reading it, I was thinking I would definitely be with the after the heroin years is when things really started taking off. off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I suppose also he was kind of tortured by critics yeah. <laughs> since the early 80s. Uh, this was something I discovered uh, in the book. Um, okay, yeah, yeah. You know, when the birthday party moved to London in 1980, they moved to London. Yeah. And the British press just did not understand them. They made fun of them for being Australian. This is what I read wow. in the book, which is just crazy. And a bit racist. <laughs> completely, um, you know, didn't take them seriously because they thought they were just some Australian country boys or something. Okay, right. Which yeah. is just wild because, I mean, I'm looking at a Courtney Barnett uh, picture in your living room here. Yeah. I mean, the coolest band in the world come from yeah. Australia. Yeah, Australian now, bands are Yeah, they're the always so like, yeah. yeah, they're always so hip. They have their own vibe. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, so like he was really torn to shreds and then they didn't understand the direction because the birthday party was like so out there. It was like gospel music, crossfit, hardcore punk, yeah. crossfit, like slide guitar, crossfit, you know, it was all this crazy stuff in a cocktail. Yeah, what's happening? Gonna... And then of course the, the post-punk slash gothic rock movement uh, comes up. Mm-hmm. And they hated being called goth. They hated it. Did they really? They really didn't like it. And that's why uh, Release the Bats okay. came into fruition. Right. Because it's not, like, he's not genuinely being like, oh, I'm scary, Release the Bats. Mm-hmm. Release the Bats is taking the piss out of the goths. Yeah. It's yeah, like, yeah. I am not one of these. Like, this is silly. The place is called the Bat Cave. This is ridiculous. Yeah, like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And my, bear in mind, too, he was on probably a lot of drugs as well. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, and their shows were extremely, like, violent. Like, yes. apparently, like, yeah. I mean, I didn't realize the extent of it myself until I did more research. I was like, wow, like, yeah. really confrontational. 
like I mean, I suppose this is so millennial of us, isn't it? Like, <laughs> I can't imagine going to a concert just to see the band beat somebody up. I'd like health and safety much. would definitely not allow it anyway. Like it was a different time, Peace wasn't it? The records would not have that. <laughs> no, that's really true though. Like, funnily enough, coming back to idols, I was at an idols gig uh, in Vicker Street, and I it just shows how unused to a violent crowd that our generation is because during the first song I got head headbutted <laughs> and I was so upset about it like I was not moshing I was just like what is it like I want to listen to music but and not to say that Idols fans are just there to beat each other up but um, yeah like I remember reading that like that the birthday party were at one stage called the most violent band of the world but beyond moshing like, I'm talking fuck. about people like pissing on stage and like him like hitting people with a microphone stand to get away from him <laughs> Booting people in the face, uh, punching people out. Like I suppose Black Flag were the same. Himself and Henry yeah, Rollins yeah. were good friends in the eighties because they were like, you know, happily battering the way. Yeah, yeah. You know, they were both very dark, kind of deep characters at the time. Yeah, so yeah. They probably were like best mates. You know, I can imagine. Uh, I can imagine the conversations they probably had. Yeah, it's crazy. You know, isn't what it? do you think about Charles Manson? You know? Yeah, <laughs> I think he's class. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, no, it's it's hard to picture. Like it's such a different time, um, and it, it's funny because a lot of bands kind of maybe stayed in in that like that was their style. But I, I think the interesting thing about the bad seeds is how they kind of keep changing. It's like even Skeleton Tree and Push the Sky Away are totally different. I think you know? Skeleton Tree is a much sadder album than Push oh, the Sky it's Away. So sad. It's yeah. Jesus Alone. Do you know that song? Yeah. And uh, Girl in Amber, particularly. Yeah. Now, that song is also probably about nostalgia because yeah. um, Amber preserves things. Oh, you know? yes. So Girl in yeah. Amber. Uh, and the same song's been playing since 1984 now. I yeah. have a lot of theories about that. And okay. of course, not to um, uh, not to kind of disrespect Susie because they, he obviously is just worships every you yeah. know piece of ground she walks walks on. Yeah. But is he reflecting on Anita Lane in that song? Oh, that's interesting. The same yeah. song's been playing since 1984. Yeah. Girl in Amber, preserved the phone in rings time. no more. The, the phone doesn't ring anymore. Yeah, yeah. Like... That's interesting. Maybe not Anita Lane, but who is he singing about? I would love to know. But yeah. there's something very nostalgic and sad yeah. about it. And the song also, in light of what happened to his poor son, I yeah. mean, um, when you think of it too, you can help but hear the grief in the lyrics. But then oh, again, yeah. Yeah. these songs were probably composed before because yes. the yeah. accident actually happened during the During sessions. the recording, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, you can't help thinking of these things it's really strange how the yeah. song, the album is so melancholy yeah it is how odd. it coincided yeah. with that with the timing with of that it event. yeah i know in uh the film that came out at the time one more time with feeling um he kind of talked about that and how people were kind of saying god it was very prophetic like he had written these very kind of grief filled and loss filled songs um and obviously what happened uh arthur but there was another interesting thing. I don't know um, if you saw this part of One More Time of Feeling. It's this, oh God, I find that film so hard to watch. But uh, Yeah, it's so upsetting. There's a part where Susie takes out a, a painting that Arthur did. Um, oh God, I, I didn't see that, but that's yeah, like heartbreaking. It was really sad. And it, the painting was, I think Arthur did it when he was five. And it was a painting of a windmill in Brighton. 
that's actually where he died. Um, oh my god! Wow, I just got a chill when you said isn't that. Isn't that that's really? So... Yeah, and like, I, I think he said like Nick was saying in the film that Susie's very superstitious and stuff, and that that really kind of affected her, and she thought, oh god, is there something to that? And but yet. Yeah, you can't deny the strange kind of coincidence of that album and what happened. Like, Yeah, there was a song. Okay, so anybody listening to this might know exactly what song uh, I'm talking about. I completely forget what album it was on. There's that many albums. Yeah. I think it was The Boatman's Call, actually. Yeah. Um, there's a lyric about uh, Our Child's Bones or something like that. And I oh, just really? got... Yeah. Oh, my God. I just thought, wow. That's wow. ten years... What, ten years before? God, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, um, yeah. strangely um, psychic lyrics. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that interests yeah. me too. Sometimes how you can um, not maybe not write something, but see something, and then something happens directly related to that. Yeah, yeah. It's like there's. Yeah. It's it's hard to put words on that, yeah. but I know what you mean. It's like the universe kind of playing with us a little bit. Yeah, it's, it's almost like the feeling of déjà vu or something. Yeah. It's like it's unexplainable, and it's I think also because his lyrics are so biblical as well that yeah. they are almost foretelling this kind of future or mm -hmm. you know so maybe it's inevitable that some of it will come true or something I don't know but yeah, yeah. to go back to the 80s again let's go way back to yes. the 80s again yeah Actually, yeah yeah <laughs> so uh, I was saying yeah how he was kind of you know uh, tortured by critics um, yeah. yeah but during that time too obviously through the years uh, people have asked him of course are you religious nick you oh know? yeah of yeah course. and he's probably sick of that question because yeah i think the um the story telling aspect of the bible and the kind of uh, examination of the human condition and all that kind of stuff interests him yeah whether he i don't think he's a church goer no i really don't think <laughs> but, so yeah. and apparently i heard a story of him being on a flight beside some born-again christians okay and he knew the bible apparently better than they did <laughs> that's god that just so nick cave that is so him he definitely like, does like. actually no mate that's wrong yeah 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 <laughs> i'll get the real quote for you yeah and i've john, got a song about it john 16 i don't know what that i don't know what i'm saying yeah. <laughs> bad Catholic anyway yeah. but uh, yeah I thought that was very amusing yeah. but coming out of uh, that the heroin years uh, came out kicking against the pricks too the cover yes. songs yeah, yeah 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 serious stuff and like Stagger Lee being a cover I didn't even realise that for ages Stagger Lee is very very interesting because there are versions of that song that were recorded by uh, or Stagger Lee, that it was a person. It's like a mythical figure. He was a yeah. he was a nineteenth century pimp or something. Yeah, yeah. And of course, he dressed dead flamboyantly, as you know, as the stereotype of a pimp goes. Yeah. But yeah. Stagger Lee is mentioned actually in Wrong and Boyo by the Clash. It's a connection to the oh, last really? episode. Yeah, oh, that's interesting. If you listen to Stagger Lee the Biller or something like that. But okay. if you if you listen to it, you can hear. And he's in there. I can Tina Turner uh, did a song about him. Yeah. Stagley. Bob Dylan. So this is a classic yeah. rock and roll trope yes. that Nick Cave, and I mean he is interested in the whole rock and roll mythology. Yeah, yeah. Tupelo. Yeah. Right. This yeah. is going to hint to an episode that could be coming soon to cool. the birth of Elvis Presley. Tupelo. Yes. You know. Yeah, yeah. That's what that song is about. So yeah. he's kind of paying tribute to the mythology of rock and roll and religion, and he's yeah. nearly joining the two together, which is very interesting. To the grace, like because yeah, it's yeah. kind of like. Rock stars through the years years are nearly like outlaws. They really are almost like yeah. Stagger Lee or Ned Kelly. Yes, yeah, or, yeah. You know Jesse James. 
And it's like, like it's their ancestry or something, is the, the yeah. rock stars they came before and yeah. I mean, how many shitty t-shirts are there out there with like Frank Sinatra's mugshot on them or like Sid Vicious or something? Exactly, they yeah. Are, they are outlaws. Like, yeah. you know, we're too far away from Jesse James now. Yeah. So we're looking back to Ozzy Osbourne. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or Motley Crue, you know? Of yeah. course, like, I'm not saying anything about Motley Crue's music. I'm not starting that, but uh, yeah. you know what I'm trying to say. I know what you're saying, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's... And it's funny to say Jesse James, of course, as well, because Nick and Warren did the soundtrack for that. That's right. And Nick's <laughs> there you in, go, yeah. I think he's in, like, the last ten minutes of it. He does. He plays a song in a bar. It's mad, mm-hmm. like, um, yeah. And, of course, too, there's a connection, too, with Johnny Cash. Like, yes. A real-life yeah. uh, modern outlaw, too, is Johnny yeah. Cash. Yeah, Johnny and Cash then, covering the mercy seat. Like, and, like, yeah. Nick Cave, in a way, is a descendant of Johnny Cash. Because yeah. he's a man in black, too, isn't he? That's so true. Yeah, and the whole costume kind of, yeah. Apparently, when he was a young boy, he grew up watching the Johnny Cash show. Because Johnny Cash used to have his own show. Okay, So yeah. you can watch clips from it. I think I saw a Janis Joplin performance on the Johnny Cash show. Oh, wow, show. that's so cool. I think this exists, unless I dreamt it. <laughs> I'm writing the Nick Cave song. Johnny, Jonas Joplin sang on the Johnny Cash. <laughs> um, but um, I can imagine how that he absorbed that into his into the, into his being. Yeah, yeah. And a part of him is Johnny Cash. Yeah, that's so good. I you never know? thought about that. Yeah. yeah. The Mercy Seat was actually covered by Johnny Cash. That's right. So yeah. I mean, that's the universe again. Yeah. Uh, 360 degrees, like uh, a little like... a little Australian boy with dark hair sitting in front of the telly with his parents watching the Johnny Cash show. Yeah. Writes a song as an adult called The Mercy Seat about a guy on the electric chair. Yeah. On death row, right? And The Mercy Seat, of course, is God's throne mm-hmm. judging him. Yeah. And of course, who would be so attracted to that theme? Yeah. Johnny Cash. Of course. Yeah. And as an elderly man, he records it. And Nick Cave is standing there going, how is this my life? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that would give you chills to live a life like that. Yeah, to reach that kind of... And the Mercy Seat is that kind of song that almost seems... I remember the first time I heard it and I remember thinking, this has to be a cover. You know, because I thought this seems like such an old song, doesn't it? Like it has that sort of a lot of quality. his songs have that classic quality because they are directly inspired by old country songs, old folk songs. Yeah, mm-hmm. of course, you know. Yeah, so it does. It does. You think? Have I heard this before? There's something mm-hmm. about it that's kind of nostalgic as well that you were saying. I yeah. sound stupid now. I don't even know for sure if Staggerly is a cover necessarily or if it's just a trope taken from older songs that he's made his own yeah uh, i will have I to think, look into that i think that's exactly what it um, is um, i could have misunderstood it's a mixture that. of so yeah like there are songs and there's old songs about the exact same topic but yeah i think he kind of i actually read somewhere and i'm going to be very loose on the facts here but that there is actually a text that he used to make the song from so okay. it's it's a cover of a text rather than a cover of a song. Okay. I don't know. Maybe we should research that further. Um, I know. Yeah. Look, I mean, I tried to do as much research as I, as I could. I mean, I read the yeah. Ian Johnson book and it only went up to the nineties. So, I mean, I'm left with what? 25. Oh yeah. Near almost our lifetime. Yeah. Longer than me. Yeah. So probably your lifetime. Yeah. Of a gap. <laughs> of a gap. So I mean I had to fill in the gaps by watching documentaries and interviews and stuff, you know. Yeah. And obviously listening to listening to the music again. Yeah. So have you read any of his books actually? Because we could probably talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I've read two. Uh I haven't read his first one, which is And the Ass Saw the Angel. 
Uh, yeah, that I think that could have been his first one. There's one, I think King Inc. is lyrics, I'm not sure. Yeah, I, I haven't read that, though. Mm. Um, I, I remember going oh, maybe it's to not. the... Sorry if it's not. <laughs> I don't remember. Anyway, go on. We'll give it a go. <laughs> um, yeah, I remember hearing about On the Ass or the Angel. Uh, I think I was maybe looking at reviews of it, and they were shocking. And I remember I was at the... <laughs> The conversations with Nick Cave thing in Abbey Abbey Street. I was going to say Abbey the Abbey, Abbey Theatre Theater. last year, and uh, I remember uh, someone asking him about it and him being like, "Just discount it. Like it's it's very from what I've heard about it, it's very indulgent. Just shite." I mean, again, <laughs> but I'd be curious. Back to the eighties again. Yeah, okay. the context, the heroin years, <laughs> exactly, and. A lot of uh, alternative rockers in the 1980s flirted with very dark nihilistic imagery yeah. that even now to somebody who's into all that stuff, it's some of it can be pretty shocking. Yes, I think that's it. I think it's maybe quite violent and stuff. So, so And I would yeah. maybe say the same with Henry Rollins, like, you yeah. know, being that whole fascination with Manson now, which I find kind of really... Yeah. Mm, no, I'm not into that now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but um, yeah, like the it's very nihilistic and very obviously yeah. there's going to be some parts of it that would be extremely offensive probably to people now. So yes. I mean, the, the, it's of its time. Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah. This kind of uh, content like that is kind of you know not for the faint of heart really. Yeah, yeah. Now I read uh, the death of Bunny Monroe. Have you yes, read that one? I have. Yeah. Uh, can I tell you something funny about that? Please do. Yes. Yeah. I don't remember an awful lot about it but I went on to my Goodreads account and I wrote this really in-depth review about it about seven years no ago way. and I remember I really got I do not remember writing this and it definitely was me but oh my god amazing what did it say I, I don't know I, I went into all like you know I was like a Lothario and you know you know wow but um yeah all I remember was those like sexualized references to Avril Lavigne and Kylie Minogue and yes he was a Lothario, like he was kind of sleeping around and he yeah. was, of course, kind of a Bukowski type. Yeah. Something like that. I, I, wasn't you know, there someone, wasn't there, I remember something, someone committed suicide. Was it his wife in it or something? And she yes. was hanging in the apartment for a while? Yes. Yeah. I remember something like that and being like, oh, fuck, this Again, is heavy. Again, pretty dark stuff, yeah. you know, but that's kind of, obviously he's purging all this stuff out so yeah. that he's not a very miserable, horrible person. Yes, and, yeah, and, and it's a healthy thing to do. And I want to just say too, like, I think a lot of people misunderstand him because there all this is this dark kind of, uh, you know, disturbing imagery in his writing and in his music and maybe yeah. his screenplays, I don't know. Yeah. That people think that's who he is, but I get the impression he's actually a family man. He's so yeah. devoted to his wife. Uh, the way, did you see the scene, um, was it? once more with feeling in that movie yeah. where uh, early comes into the studio and his face oh just God. lights up and he gives him the biggest the big hug. hug yeah and i mean that i think is the real nick cave i think that's yeah. who he is as a human being you know i feel like yeah that's who he is now anyway mm -hmm. yeah yeah i yeah. think and i mean he's so devoted to Susie. Uh, the way yeah. he speaks about her is the way i'd love uh, any man to talk about me you know yeah. oh <laughs> seriously it's, <laughs> like it's just like uh, I I don't think it's um like we talked about a muse thing. I think I think it's I don't think he puts her on a pedestal in no. an unhealthy way. No, but he no. sees her beauty in all of its glory he, and her inside and out. You know, like, he knows yeah. what he has. Yeah, he does. He does he, exactly. He, like 
I, I really do think that she's made him a happy person. I yeah. can see that in him. Yeah. You know, despite all their... And I mean, in light of the tragedy that did happen, I can only say I admire their strength and dignity and the way they've dealt with it. Yeah. I have never seen anything like it. Yeah, and it's it's amazing that they're still as strong as they are because, mm. you know, the death of a child can really bring up so much in a couple and mm. really tear them apart because it just reminds them when they're together it reminds mm-hmm. them so much of what happened whereas they seem to have found a way to use it as a vessel to kind of help people like and also there's early there and early yeah early helps. i mean he seems like a really good kid like he, he looks pretty cool yeah he looks like a hybrid of the two of them sometimes i Doesn't see pictures he? of him and it's like mini nick cave and then yeah. i see other times like oh my god he just looks exactly like his mom yeah he's really beautiful there's something yeah, very beautiful but he, about him. he's elfin looking or something i don't want it yeah is. but uh there was a picture of him with like dyed long black hair and i and he had like <laughs> rings on and i was like oh. oh my god he's just like a stamp of his dad like yes yeah 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 he's like totally... god was just like copy paste yeah <laughs> and i think that's that's something as well that's interesting is that style the you know you talked about that to do with um johnny cash but the suits yeah. like the bad seat suits and nicks in particular like the big high collar that's like really kind of unusual and the rings and he dresses like a cheesy oh. lothario that's his whole yes thing. <laughs> <laughs> that was his vibe uh, like in, like the kind of dress like gothic cowboys um yeah in the birthday party because tracy pew uh he was their bass player bass player Okay. Uh, again the bass lines in the birthday party I think are fucking killer fun. oh my god yeah. they're so good but there's a picture of I think it was Tracy Pugh with like a vest a, like a transparent vest on and a cowboy hat and it's like they just dress so unique yeah. and I can imagine the, the, the English uh, kind of cool guys back then being like what the hell yeah. is going on here yeah what is this yeah <laughs> like he really has his own vibe yeah and it's amazing like you were at that gig in was it malahide or kilmainham kilmainham yeah like oh my god i just loved looking at the crowd for that gig because there were nick caves everywhere <laughs> and there were that as well. female versions of nick cave and i also like I'm definitely inspired by like I was throwing on these shoes today and I was like yeah. these are so Nick Cave obviously no one can actually see them but they're no. like the big chunky loafers and the tassels and you know yeah. like that style is just so cool can and I just say she has nice shoes on thank you thank you very much <laughs> I made an effort for the podcast <laughs> um, but yeah like that style ah oh, like and then obviously Susie's labelled the vampire's wife I mean the fact she like, called it the vampire's wife that just makes me so happy yes exactly he's such a vampire I, <laughs> and just that uh, the photographs of them at the Met Gala where she's oh, wearing wow. that red velvet ensemble and he's dressed in a black suit and he's holding her really close and they look like a sculpture but they also look like you know Satan and his wife <laughs> oh totally yeah oh it's so iconic like oh my god they're just so beautiful together I, I really feel... I could gush about them forever just... I know just the image of the two of them yeah. is so beautiful but I feel like even people who don't listen to Nick Cave might inadvertently be influenced by his style you know <laughs> he's a style icon he is a style icon like mm-hmm. um I think it's cool as well the way um I've seen you know the way Susie has that real iconic the vampire's wife dress course, that everyone yeah. gets beautiful dress um beautiful but she also has this jewelry which is incredibly expensive so i, I can't <laughs> even go there but it's it's cool because it's like a little red right hand or it's like of little kind of neck um yeah i don't know little kind of motifs or whatever and it's so cool it's like there's such 
they're so tight creatively it's like yeah they're very much one kind of creative entity or something oh yeah, yeah she's just in, she's in tune with his whole vibe and his whole aesthetic she understands yeah. him and I see that even on her Instagram account yeah she pay, yeah. pays tribute to it she stands him hard like yeah doesn't she <laughs> yeah she's like here's Nick on stage somewhere isn't yeah. he great kind she's of. like posting pictures of him from 1987 with like heart emojis underneath it and, yeah. like my darling it's like oh my god they're, they're just so cute like, yeah they're <laughs> so in love they're like yeah. teenagers or yeah, something they're it's, like it's oh. amazing yeah God. I suppose we could talk a little bit about um, Kylie Minogue and where the wild roses grow. Of course, yes, yeah. Um, the interesting thing about this song that I discovered today, my last minute research, <laughs> was that that song was first performed in County Cork. No, the way. first ever live performance of Where the Wild Roses Grow was performed in County Cork. That's Cork crazy. In Ireland. By the two of them, like. Yeah, and I mean, oh, Irish wow. people love a good song about death and murder. Oh, so yeah, I can we're totally all about can it. imagine that going over well. Yeah. <laughs> That's gas. And what was it, a festival or something? Um, or? Oh, I don't remember now. Yeah. yeah. It was 94, I think, or okay. yeah, 95. That's so, mad. Yeah. Um, the thing is, I love uh, the sweet little Kylie with, like, Baritone Nick Cave, you know, I, yeah. I love, um, I love the contrast between the two of them, and she just sings it so beautifully. I really believe that she is uh, Eliza, Eliza Day, like yeah. I do, I, you know. Yeah, and it was so kind of unexpected for that collaboration to happen from the outside, you know. Yeah, and like the fact, you know, Nick talks about the fact that. It kind of shot him into they were on top of the pops then he got to be a pop star like for the first yeah. time ever now of course he's been a rock star he's been an underground rock star then he's been a rock star but yeah. then he got to be like you know on top of the pops which With i don't know there's something very comical about seeing a on top of the pops there i don't is. know why it's like seeing a vampire in sunlight <laughs> or something that shouldn't quite happen like it was after like tina g or what do you, what, i can't yeah. think of any two unlimited after i'm coming up right after this yeah <laughs> it's just so it's god it's so bizarre yeah but, um, yeah, and, and funny, he has seems to have a very nice relationship with Kylie. Yeah. They're the most unlikely friends I think you've ever seen. Yeah, it's like that Australian connection kind yeah. of holds them or something. I'm sure they've lots that they get on with about and like have things in common, but it seems like two different worlds colliding, doesn't it? Yeah, like I mean the the Ian Johnson book, there's a quote from Kylie on the back. Oh really? And she's in um it was a twenty thousand days on earth, she's in the back of the car. That's right, yeah. And she's talking about how oh yeah, I read your read your biography and he was like, Oh that thing. Yeah. He's <laughs> probably about what's in it. And is that, um, is the biography they're chatting about there, is that the Ian Johnson one do you think? Or is I it? don't know, but oh, okay. I mean I'm sure there's probably a few there's at this probably stage, a load, But yeah. that is generally anytime I look for a Nick Cave biography, that one seems to seem to have always come up. Okay. So I got that one out of the line. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so in the back of the car they're just chatting and she's like she really sounds like she's a fan she's like she yeah does, she's like yeah. I saw you sing and you came out on stage and you just looked like a big tree yes that's right yeah. and yeah. a big grin comes on his face because he just did not expect her to come out with something you know so random and yeah. strangely profound because I understand what she's saying because yeah. he's this tall yes. presence yeah 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 you know a tree if yeah. you can remember him marching around the stage and come in and like yes. plucking people out of the crowd like you know yeah he does have that and it's just also the fact that he's kind of so 
like a bean pole, isn't he? Like he's just <laughs> yeah, straight yeah. up and down, like um and the hair as well, like it's very severe down. Yeah. I can totally see it. Somebody asked him, I think in a guardian interview too, about his hair, like is that your natural hair colour? I mean he's in his fifties, so if it was it couldn't be. he yeah. said I could dye in my hair since I was sixteen, Mitch. Yeah, yeah, like it's that jet black as well. No I could just that. imagine him saying that and I cracked up. I was like, yeah. I could just hear him in my head and that's another thing too, he's still so Australian. He's oh my been God. out of Australia for I don't know how many years and then in once more with feeling he's like, G'day Suze. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nothing has changed. Yeah. Like, like the, yeah. I like that when people keep their accents. I you do know. as well. Yeah, because I'm one of those people, I don't know if you're the same, that when I'm around someone with a strong accent, I start just talking that way. Oh, yeah. So I feel like I'd lose mine very easily. Like I, I don't know whether I would or not. I mean, sometimes I think I would, but uh, yeah. I wouldn't like to think that I do. Like, I, I yeah. know I've quite, like, I hear myself back now on the podcast and I have quite a rural accent. Yeah, you kind and of I'm, forget. I kind of yeah. forget. I don't really hear myself in my head like that, but I hear it back, especially talking to John yesterday. Yeah. I was like, oh my God, straight out of the farm. Like, yeah. <laughs> maybe it's because we're cousins and we just, we, we revert into that and we speak to each other. I yeah. Don't know. Oh, uh, if it's okay, I wouldn't mind talking a bit about the question and answer thing. And Oh, yeah. The, yeah. So you went to the talk. I didn't go to the talk uh, yeah. during that. You went to the gig and you went to the talk. I yeah. remember it was on. I remember sitting in front of the screen and going, well, I buy tickets. No, I don't think I can afford it. I couldn't. So yeah. Just as well, I didn't. But anyway, uh, yeah. tell us about that and what that experience was like. So it was the night before he played um, Kilmainham. So... Uh, the tickets were like gold dust as well, like. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we were lucky enough to get some, and it was cool because it was the first time that I was in a crowd with just obsessive Nick Cave fans. Because this was the, you know, the creme de la creme of Irish yeah. Nick Cave fans, and not just Irish. There were people. I think it was one of the first ter- times he'd done the conversations thing in Europe. Okay. Um, so there were people who'd flown over from France and Germany and it yeah. was it was really kind of like intense in that way. Um, there were women. Uh, uh, there's obviously a type of woman, which I, I'm probably a little bit like, who, <laughs> <laughs> who is just obsessed God. with him. Like there were women who you could nearly see reaching out to grab him. Like, throw was, roses at him. <laughs> yeah, like probably, probably obsessed and in love with him. Um, but the idea for the conversations thing was cool. Uh, it came after he did One More Time With Feeling and it was because of Arthur's death he was totally put off by the media. He didn't want to do interviews anymore because inevitably he was going to get asked every time about, oh, your son died and how's that affected you and how's it affected the family? So he wanted to have this um, communication with his fans that wasn't moderated, that for the first time it was literally him talking to fans and it wasn't whatever journalist's idea I'm really mad I missed that now because that sounds really special because yeah. I would have thought it would have been a guy with a microphone being like you know so Nick blah, 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 and then oh, going okay, into yes. the crowd with a mic I know what you mean I didn't realise it was that intimate there was there was no one he was the guy with the mic right so he walked out with the mic and there was a grand piano in the middle of the theatre and there was only I don't know how many people but like 300 max I'd say there mm-hmm. and he introduces himself and he plays a song he played into my arms at one stage it was beautiful and the ship song and just him on the piano crying buckets like like an intimate (laughs) gig yeah everyone just in bits and then there were people who worked in the abbey going around handing people mics so 
it was very risky in a way because people could have asked anything people uh. did ask anything you know like uh mm-hmm. someone asked about the fact that he played israel and you could kind of hear oh yeah you could hear the crowd kind of going oof and uh and he responded really really well and he said i can't remember exactly what he said but his whole thing was like you've every right to ask that question i made my decision about that and my decision is i'm not gonna like hold music back from the people of israel just because of what's happening i'm not going to punish them for what their Mm -hmm. government is doing which i thought was a lovely answer um Mm -hmm. So yeah, he had lots of different kind of, like people asked about Arthur's death. There were people who were very upset because they'd lost a child. And he, okay. so at times it, it became like a friend kind of conversation yeah. or almost like therapy. I mean, I can imagine him responding better to somebody who's gone through what he's gone through because that's, yeah. that's an act of empathy. That's been like, yeah. I know what you're going through. Thank you for providing me with this art but I know how you're feeling. Yeah. You know, and there's something very That's how it was, yeah. Because I kind of thought that maybe he'd find it a bit overwhelming after a while and be like, can we talk about something else? But it was actually like he'd opened up this forum to talk about Mm -hmm. loss. Um, So, like I was mentioning earlier, he has this uh, newsletter that goes out and it's the Red Hand Files. And it's, as well, it's in place of media. Mm -hmm. So, um, just an example of a really funny one was... uh, Someone asked him the question, um, do you ever get people who are really nasty asking you questions on this forum? <laughs> no doubt he does. Of course he does. And there was a guy, so, someone wrote underneath, so he put the two questions together again. <laughs> and it was obviously an example of that. And it was someone saying something horrible about, oh, um, you get a lot of weird lesbians listening to your music. How do you feel about that? It was something mm. really nasty. Gross, yeah. And he dealt with it so well again. And he kind of used a lot of religious kind of references you know he was saying like um there was some quote it was like jesus said do unto others as you would have Mm -hmm. done to you or something like that you know so he's got this constant kind of religious uh underpinning for his morals eye for Um, an eye tooth for tooth you know exactly yeah um so yeah i find that really interesting to kind of bypass the media and talk straight to the fans is like very unusual way to communicate with people i think that's i love when artists actually reach out to the people that appreciate them um, yeah i mean i know for bigger ones it's harder because you've got a lot of loonies out there yeah yeah but you know when they really do reach out it means that they care and i think he is one of those artists i yeah. mean he's been through an awful lot in his life uh, he's had a lot of a a lot of character development over the years. Definitely, yeah. You know, and then yeah. on a parallel too, I could say the same bit as me at Henry Rollins too. Like, yeah. He was a very angry, I would nearly say unpleasant person. Right, yeah. And grew into a very mature, very empathetic character. Yeah. So Through his experience. Through like, his experiences, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, and it's funny, uh, his vulnerability, Nick Cave's vulnerability, <laughs> did uh, appear in uh, 20,000 Days on Earth when the interviewer yeah. was t- asking about his father. Yes, exactly. And yeah. I could see him get choked up. Yeah. And I thought that was very interesting because yeah. apparently as a young man, like his father was a great mentor to him, but yeah. he always sought his father's approval, but okay. nearly felt like he couldn't get it. And then his father tragically was killed in an accident yeah. again, which is a flipping horrible yeah. parallel then it is, to the future as well. Yeah. And he never, it's almost like he didn't get to say goodbye and he was, a, he was going wild when he was a teenager and he wasn't yeah. in the right headspace. And 
I can see that he probably has a bit of trauma there. Yeah, and, and maybe never got that approval in the end then. That's very sad. I yeah. mean, uh, here, I'm not the one that's training to be a psychotherapist, but like <sighs> that could have something to do with the kind of escape into substances and, yeah. and all that stuff. Like, I'm sure I mean, it does, yeah. He's a human being. Like These people, even though they're stars... Yeah, yeah. They have a human history behind them that makes them the way they are. Yeah. And I think he's an example of that. I thought it was really interesting what he said at the start of uh, One More Time of Feeling about trauma. Um, because he was talking about that move away from a very clear narrative structure in his mm-hmm. songs. You know, like because he's always had this story, whatever the story is throughout mm-hmm. the song. And it's maybe religious connotations and stuff. And then Skeleton Tree is a lot more simplistic it, you it's, know, um, looking inward, and it's an autobiographical. Whether whereas the eighties stuff is very much a story outside of himself. Yeah, exactly. It's like the material. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. and it's really interesting. I thought, yeah, just that whole thing of that he talks about. Um, you know, there's that idea of the tortured artist being very prolific, mm-hmm. and he kind of says, actually, when Arthur died, that was totally destructive to his creative process you know and that the idea of the tortured artist in a way it doesn't work out that way if you're really tortured how can mm. you create you know no um but i i i saw from the red hand files that he is feeling a lot more creative yeah. um and he mentioned at that gig in Kilmainham that he's writing new stuff or maybe it was at the question and answer so i mean when it comes to, to trauma and life experiences that are unpleasant because obviously there's trauma as in really bad things and there's things that are unpleasant that bring you pain yeah i think when you create art out of those things it's after a period of reflection yeah it's not in the moment of the pain being felt yeah you're in survival kind of instinct you need the time to reflect so it's not a case of drugs make art better or like yeah you know they had a hard life and that's why their art is better it's like no, because they were, had the kind of mind that let them reflect on it. And not everybody in the world has that. Yeah, yeah. Would you agree? No, I totally agree. As a creative yeah. person yourself. Yeah, I think so. I anyway. think so. Like, um, I think sometimes you can need the creativity because you're suffering in some way and it's an outlet for whatever negative emotions mm-hmm. you're feeling. So I definitely find that's a way of expressing things at times. Um, but I think when you're, as you say, when it's something that's really, really kind of earth shattering and, and traumatic, then you can barely think about the next hour. Never mind. Yeah, you're, you're, you're like, you know, what am I going to eat? You're like, you've no yeah. appetite, you can't get out of bed. Yeah, mean, what's the point of writing a song? What are you going to do? You know Pick what I mean? notebook and write a poem about it. Exactly. That doesn't come until a period of reflection where you can look at your own pain and go, okay, this is what this pain has made me today. Yeah. And I can tell the story. Exactly. So I'll be really kind of interested to see what what happens next, Mm -hmm. what the next album is going to be like. I don't think you could ever forecast what a next Bad Seas album is going to look like, you know? I mean, I feel like they're in eras. I mean, I see the post-birthday party years are like, I suppose, kind of the heroin years and the the blues and the Baptist preacher kind of stuff. Yeah. And then coming out of that, then, of course, you have like the Boatman's Call. I feel like that album is the transitional album. Exactly. To the next phase. I think so, too. And that moves us up to skeleton tree sort yeah, of yeah up to present so yeah so uh, yeah I mean maybe there's a new phase I mean Jesus he's one of those artists that has reinvented himself that many times well, I mean he's yeah. still the same old Nick Cave and he's still the man yes. in black you know but yeah he 
he really um he hasn't stuck to the same aesthetic and you know yeah. he, he keeps he keeps moving forward yeah and i mean obviously lots of love to his family and all the grief that they're experiencing yeah. and you know we wish them all the best definitely yeah so, i mean jesus christ if we covered so much there i'm actually really happy about that me too yeah, yeah i feel like we've covered uh, that was like a the guts of session. <laughs> <laughs> She's really good at what she does. Um, I can't help but start feeling like that. I'm like, and the trauma and the sadness. No, no but I mean, all yeah. that is in the yeah. music. So I mean, look, yeah. perfect band for you to talk about then, if that's the case. Yeah, emotions know. are his his medium. Yeah. So come here, thanks so much for talking to me. I really enjoyed that. I hope me. you did too. I really enjoyed it. It was nice because you knew lots that I didn't know, and vice versa. And so vice that was versa, really yeah, you had different experiences. So it was really nice to meet in the middle. Yeah. So thank you, Eva. Thank you very much. Thanks. Bye-bye. And that was that. Thank you so much to Aoife for taking part. I think you'll all agree that was a really interesting conversation. And by all means, please check out Larry. You can find them at Larry Music on Bandcamp. You can also find them on Instagram at Larry is my band. And please give them a listen on Spotify. Please check out Pizza Pizza Records and all the fantastic acts they have on that label. Dundalk is crammed with talent and everybody needs to know about it. You heard one track on this podcast and that was called The Dark Glow of the Mountains by Chris Zabriskie. I'm available at I Love This Band Pod on both Instagram and Facebook, so please give me a follow. And finally, this is a completely DIY operation, so by all means, please tell your friends, please subscribe and follow or listen to the previous episodes if this is your first time listening. So thank you so much for coming back to a new episode of I Love This Band and I hope you come back again.